3: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you uh, are back with me after a long weekend. We are back in action. The news never slows down. No excuses uh, today uh, and no different today, I should say. But the President of the United States not rushing back. He arrives back at the White House at noon. Take your time. Not much going on. Really not much for you to do there. At 3.15 in the afternoon, he's going to go to Andrew's Air Force Base and they go over to New York. He'll arrive in Manhattan and going to give a speech. Uh, Have a bilateral meeting, give a U.N. speech tomorrow. Uh, So take your time. Not much going on. Uh, I beg to differ. A lot going on. Big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three. On Wednesday, you said in an interview, quote, if they say we don't think there's enough data to do a booster, then so be it. I think that would be a mistake, but now you're saying you don't think it
5: was a mistake? No, I mean, I, you know, when I was saying that mistake, my own personal looking at this, I believe you're gonna see an evolution of this process.
3: Get nailed. Even other networks are starting to realize Anthony Fauci doesn't know what he's talking about. Get it together. That's my advice on the COVID confusion on boosters, natural immunity, and mandate mania. President Biden has has done the impossible. He created more division, anger, and contradiction with the pandemic. And can someone please tell Anthony Fauci no one listens or believes him anymore? Plus, this just in, Pfizer says COVID vaccine is safe and effective for kids ages 5 to 11. Now, Mr. President, wait for the FDA to also say that.
6: Number two.
7: This is a problem on the border that Biden has not addressed. And, and Biden, in his early comments after becoming president, predicted that the, the flow of, of immigrants uh, uh, across the southern border would go down as the weather changed. But we are seeing record numbers at the border before we saw uh, the crisis under that bridge. That is Jonathan
3: Carl on ABC saying that. It must be real then. A border crisis even the Biden administration cannot ignore while trying to blind the public to its magnitude by grounding Fox's drones. Unbelievable images. The problem is we have boats and helicopters so that images never stopped and they released the ban. Now, Haitians are beginning to surge our border as traffickers pick up their evil pace, and even other media outlets are noticing.
8: Number
9: one. I'm not going to deal with the top-line number. I, I suspect it will be somewhat less than $3.5 trillion. Remember, that's over 10 years, and uh, this is basically about 5% more than we're going to spend anyway. We're probably going to slip past the September 27th date. Yeah, Sometime think- into early October would be my best guess.
3: Really? I'm in such a rush to spend $3.5 trillion we don't have. Almost dead. That's what some say is the case with the $3.5 socialist Sanders agenda. His spending palooza is a loser and the Dems are solely to blame if it doesn't get passed, as they tried to legalize 10 million illegals, but thankfully the parliamentarian blocked it. So that's what's going on in the news. Lara Logan, at the bottom of the hour, to unwind what's happening in Afghanistan as the horrible news uh, comes out that we killed uh, 10 innocent people, including 7 children, with a drone strike. Of Two weeks ago, along with leaving Americans behind, which is still unthinkable, Uh, Mike Rowe is pumped up. He's not letting any of that get him down, and neither should Fox Business or Fox News, because he is the executive producer and narrator of a brand new series about to start that you can all relate to, How America Works. It starts on Fox Business at 8 o'clock. Uh, Mike Rowe works his uh, multifaceted we can't keep him down to just one job but this is your newest right Mike this is the
10: newest Brian and it's happening here tonight on Fox business
3: it's about time you should have been on from day one it should have been Mike Rowe and then Mike Snyder is that was his name Mike Snyder
10: It was Tom Snyder
3: no no Tom Snyder was a different guy our first guy was Mike Snyder. Can, uh,
10: can you, oh, the first uh, guy on Fox? Yeah. Was yeah. He, wasn't, he was on Six O'Clock. I wasn't born then. Right. Ryan, yeah, but he, he, went, but he seems like a terrific guy. 96. Excuse me. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, very excited. How America Works is the name of the show. Uh, if you remember uh, Dirty Jobs, it's kind of like that without an annoying host embedded right in the center of it. This right. is just a, yeah. a a much simpler look at the men and women who do the kinds of jobs that make civilized life work and you know what, you can't script this sort of thing, but when you look at the headlines and when I listen to your show and I just look around the right now we're seeing how America doesn't work. We're seeing what happens when laws on the books are are simply not uh acknowledged. We're seeing what happens when unintended consequences are allowed to just spool out indefinitely. Uh this is sort of uh, uh an antidote to that. You know, real people doing work that most people can understand optically because the fruits of that labor impact them directly. And there's just really something, for me anyway, cathartic about seeing the simplicity of that.
3: Absolutely. Especially when there's two things that don't add up. Unemployment's about 5%, but yet we have about uh, 8 to 10 million open jobs. Yeah. How do you figure
10: that? Well, you know, a reporter from the Wall Street Journal asked me that exact question in 2008 when the country was starting to slip into a recession. Because I would commented to somebody, that's back when Dirty Jobs was in its heyday, right? Every single morning, we'd wake up and we'd look at the headlines and we'd see new unemployment numbers going through the roof, higher and higher and higher. Everywhere I went on Dirty Jobs, we saw help wanted signs. And so it was clear that there was some other narrative going on in the country that was creating this widening skills gap uh, contemporaneously with rising unemployment. And that makes people's heads explode. Because the cognitive dissonance is just, is just too much. But to your point, it's real. We have over 10 million open positions right now and many millions of people who are not working. And that is unhealthy, not just for the individuals who are not working or for the employers desperate right. to hire them, but for the whole country. It's just unhealthy.
3: But think about this, Mike. This really is the news because from when this pandemic first hit, we said uh, we don't make anything. We don't make any masks. We don't make any gowns. We didn't make anything. So where's our manufacturing overseas? How are we going to get it there? They're not making it. Now they're going to keep it for themselves, even though we paid for it. And I'm talking about China, uh, you know, mostly Southeast Asia, because we wanted cheaper things. Maybe in a good way. Say, okay, you know what? The labor market, the union deals, it costs too much to make stuff. So I'll make more profit. I'll bring it over here. Let somebody else make it for their wage we would never work for. And even by exporting and importing— It's still cheaper, so the American consumer's happy. We turned around after the 1980s and we said to ourselves, What just happened now in 2020? We don't make anything. We don't have the skills to make anything.
10: If you order takeout every single night, you will slowly forget how to cook. It'll just happen. Yeah. Right? And there's nothing inherently bad with that. But if you look at the macro economy like a frog in the boiling water, right? It doesn't happen overnight, it took decades. But we slowly abdicated the business of making things in virtually every vertical, virtually every vertical. And then one day we woke up and we realized, right, where is our medicine? Where are our masks? Where the supply line to this date? I'm trying. You'll laugh because what the country really needs is one more celebrity rolling out a, uh, a whiskey. But I'm trying to do that. And I've currently been stuck because I'm waiting for corks. I can't get corks. Really? Right. So. It's if, if you talk to anybody who's trying to make something right now, they will tell you in some way, shape or form they've been stymied and frustrated because they simply can't get whatever it is they need off a container ship, either because the ships aren't in the dock or truck because drivers. we can't find truck drivers to deliver it. Right. So look, that's a long way of saying watch how America works yep. tonight, because what you'll see is an example of what our country looks like when it's working, when it's working the way it's supposed to work. And look, I I I I don't wanna blow sunshine or, or be overly optimistic, but we have we have to look at those success stories or we will simply stop getting out of bed.
3: A couple of things. Uh, why do people want to be athletes? Because they're glorified on television. They see them on ESPN. Right. You know, why do people want to be celebrities? We had the Emmy Awards last night. They're rich. They're famous. They're sought after. It's fun yes. to go on and run the red carpet. Yes. If you could start showing people doing everyday work and the glory that is and the satisfaction they feel, that could change perception. That's why... Um, you're, it's more than just a series; it's a necessity that we observe this. So, when maybe a son could, maybe a father can look at a son and say, "That's what I do," and, a- and that's you know, rather than you know, my dad, you know, my dad's a celebrity. How about my dad does this?
10: Right. Look, first and foremost, it must entertain. We must be entertaining. Dirty Jobs worked because, by and large, it was fun to watch. But underneath it, there was a mission. And the greatest favor anybody ever did for me was my old boss at the time, Jane Root. She said, she said, Mike, the show needs a mission statement. And I'm like, oh, God, are you kidding me? A mission statement. She said, just just write something. So on the back of my lunch bag, I wrote, my name's Mike Rowe. This is my job. I explore the country looking for people who aren't afraid to get dirty, hardworking men and women who do the kinds of jobs that make civilized life possible for the rest of us. And that was it. Well, that mission statement really became the underpinning for everything I did for the next 20 years, including this show, including my foundation, MicroWorks. You're 100% right. We have incredible power in this medium. We can choose where we point our cameras. And if it's all red carpet, and if it's all athletes, then you'll see a country that reflects that. If it's some of this, then you'll see a more balanced nation.
3: Mike Rose here. He's pumped up. His show's going to air every Monday. It's, uh, it is uh, uh, Micro Works. The name is, it's called, uh, you Host of the Way.
10: For God's uh, sakes, How dude. America do I have works. to jump in here right now? No, you don't. Uh, it's How called America How, America How America Works. works.
3: You've got so many things here. On I've my got a lot already.
10: going on. It'd be simpler if I did this for you.
3: Monday at 8. But, Mike, here's something else that, though, is interesting. 9 11 happens, right? Yeah. And they do all these specials. About the firefighters. And I actually am in more awe 20 years later. Mm -hmm. And one of them is uh, uh, Chief Ganchi, and he gives a speech at the academy every year, and he said, everybody here, I have news for you. You will never be rich, but you'll always be happy.
10: Mm -hmm.
3: When you were meeting the men and women who who weren't rich, Mm -hmm. were they happy?
10: Look, I hate to generalize, but by and large— the overriding question that came out of Dirty Jobs and in this series too was, "What do these people know that we don't?" Because they seem to be balanced in a way that most of us aren't. And look, happy is a weird word. Joyful, I think. You know, they're 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 in on some kind of realization. Satisfied. How they, about this? okay. They know if they call in sick for a week, <laughs> the the trickling, right will be catastrophic civilization goes off the rails they know that and so the meaning gets baked into their job in a ways that a lot of us forget regarding firefighters i agree with everything you said 100 percent. but there's a great line in one of the last episodes of how america works where a sewage worker in milwaukee makes the same point about firefighters but he says nobody ever talks about us because they can't see us and this is the thing brian if you're out of sight in this country you're out of mind and look there's absolutely you cannot overstate the importance of a firefighter but when this when the rains come and the sewers flood so interesting, and your toilet man. stops working the question then becomes well how long do you want to wait for a plumber and i guarantee you unless you've got the outhouse already set up not long so uh, a
3: friend of mine has a family business plumbing and they've been doing it probably since the 50s. So with all six boys, they're working there, and they're all men now. And then one just spun off. He goes, you know, I want to gradually, uh, like, go do real estate and, and stop the taxing job. But he's getting so many calls as a plumber, as a licensed, experienced plumber. He said, you wouldn't believe the amount of money I'm making now as a plumber, not the owner of a plumbing business, but as a plumber. As a plumber. Yep. And he says, I can't do it enough. He goes, I wish I was younger because it's physically, you know, it's
8: taxing.
10: My foundation Microworks has so far helped train over 1,400 people. Uh, The single hardest vertical to recruit into is plumbing because, to your point, the perceptions, the stigmas, the stereotypes, the myths, the misperceptions that surround that industry are horrible. But I can give you example after example of kids coming straight out of high school, getting that skill, making six figures, and living debt-free.
3: Now, does it worry you like it does me When the pandemic hits and you just tell me my business can't function, I'm not allowed to leave the house. It's actually worse in some other Western countries like Australia, Western uh, ideal. Horrible in Melbourne. Right. right I got it. So some of the stuff I understand. Guys, we don't know where this is. We don't know how to stop it. We're going to take a break here. No more restaurants. No more gyms. Okay, got it. Now that we can go back to work and the gyms are open, the restaurants are open to a degree almost 100 percent. The supplemental unemployment insurance, where it actually pays you more not to work. Yeah. I worry it's getting into the thing that we covet most, what I covet most, is work ethic. Mm-hmm. The glory in work. Excuse me, I'm not an idiot. You're paying me 1300 not to work. I get 1000 to work. I, I've got a family, too. Yeah. So I'm not going to not take $300. So w- I worry about someone not realizing, at the highest reaches of our government— that work ethic is the backbone of our country.
10: It's also an important part of feeling like a complete individual. Absolutely. Right? It's macro and it's micro. Self-worth. If you reduce a job to purely the transactional component, if you make it about nothing but the money, then all you're ever going to have are union debates, and it's going to be labor versus management yep. and capital, blah, 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 blah. Look, this is how America works is not about that. It's about the larger thing that comes from doing a job that matters and right. a job you feel connected to. How
3: many episodes and what's tonight?
10: Ten episodes. Tonight we start with lumber and then we go straight to oil. And this is going to annoy some people, but it's important to watch it. Because, look, we wind up resenting that which we depend upon. Right. And when you see these shows, you will right. realize that. And, and and I hope a lot of people take an honest look at themselves and say, listen, it makes no sense to vilify industries. Right. That I need. That's what this is a reminder. Yeah,
3: I of. get so annoyed when I, uh, about oil and gas when I hop on a plane and then have, have my car pick me up and then mm-hmm. bring me to a hotel, which I know runs on solar panels. So it really annoys me so much, the oil industry. Oh,
10: how about the mask that's made from petroleum products? Uh, how, that dare, you must, how, how, how dare how, you, how dare bring you that put up? that oil <laughs> on your face? What are you right. thinking?
3: What are you, absolutely, so selfish. <laughs> Mike Rowe, I can't wait for your series. I feel like I got a preview, an exclusive preview that I'm sharing with my audience How America Works. On Fox Business, and he's the CEO of MicroWorks, and he's a host of the Way I Heard It podcast. He is a busy guy.
10: You know, you got all. I you nailed ninety percent of that dude. <laughs> which very, is very fast. Which is that?
3: That's just a matter we got out of Afghanistan. So it's fantastic. So I left ten percent, just like ten uh, percent of Americans and our allies in Afghanistan. So C minus. That's I'm what we're shooting for. I'm always, I'm always, I'm always, I'm as good as the president of the United States. Back in a moment.
2: <laughs> educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get
5: the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.
2: Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: I think he's got a a pretty big uh, credibility crisis on his hands because all of these problems in some ways showed up after he said something basically the exact opposite. Afghanistan withdrawal wasn't going to be messy. This wasn't going to look like Saigon. Uh, the booster shots. And, of course, the border has been, you know, whether this, is, you could, we can talk about the border problems. You could say there's years in the making. But the, the, it's pretty clear we have a bigger problem now than we've had in years. And this is a, these policies have turned into becoming a magnet. So it's got a lot of work to do.
3: Why would I play Chuck Todd? Because it, uh, it heartens me. And I mean this. The people are actually calling it as they see it because it's so overwhelming. Whatever the reason, similar things on ABC, certainly on Face the Nation, uh, and then Chris Wallace always, uh, to me, will ask tough questions. So for Chuck Todd to say that, the guy doesn't want to say it. He doesn't ask any hard questions to Anthony Fauci ever. But Jake Tapper did. Because of the contradictions we're hearing and dealing with. It affects our lifestyle. It affects their kids. Their kids aren't Republicans or Democrats. They're wearing a mask. They don't know about boosters. They uh, don't know if these are susceptible to kids. The the Ethi Fauci just does word jazz when it comes to uh, our policies. Just let me give you an idea of what's going wrong and why Joe Biden's responsible. The border solely his responsibility, his ridiculous policies to be anti-Trump. Afghanistan, he actually contradicted his secretary of defense as well as his uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You know what's going on now uh, with the uh, $3.5 trillion. He was unable to convince Democrats to go along with it. And the Afghanistan uh, move with the killing of the drone strike, they're saying he pressured for a scalp for the killing of 13. That's what got the anarchy.
2: from his mouth to your your ears, ears it's brian kilmeade it looks like they were in a rush they were in a hurry you could see the political pressure and if there was one thing that drove this failed evacuation it was the arbitrary political deadline that president biden set the arbitrary cap on the number of troops that could be there so we could uh secure american departure and the departure of our equipment those things these were all political decisions driven down to the military and i'm confident that the military was under enormous pressure president Biden said we're going to strike back at the folks who killed the 13 Americans, and we had a
10: strike that clearly failed.
3: No doubt about it, when you kill seven kids, uh, 10 overall, and say it's ISIS-K, it failed. Not that that never happens on every administration, we get it. But when Joe Biden single-handedly overcomes reportedly his secretary of defense, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, his CIA, in pulling out the way he did— and then, if it's true, that Mike Pompeo sources tell him the pressure to act and get revenge after they kill 13 and wound 20 uh, was so great, they end up killing a guy putting water jugs in his car and his kids. I think it's pretty horrendous. Larry Logan, host of Larry Logan, has no agenda, uh, expert in this area for a year, especially at 60 Minutes. Laura, welcome back. Uh, what, Thank you, Brian. Yeah, You were one of the first to say, I don't really, you don't really believe this ISIS-K. How do I identify him in, in a day? when we couldn't stop on the day before
11: well and when we couldn't find the leadership of the Taliban who we knew were in this uh, Pakistani cities of Quetta and Miram Shah and Peshawar couldn't find them in 20 years, but somehow we managed to find an ISIS-KI. And you know what the thing is that they're covering up about the strike, Brian, is that they trade on what we don't know, right? So when they say an over-the-horizon strike, what that typically means is that you're sending drones and assets from a distance, right? And so what you have to do then, if you have something like a Reaper drone, which is exactly what they were flying that day, you don't have what's called PID, positive identification. You have to have assets on the ground. what did they tell us? We didn't have our people on the ground, right? Who did we turn to? Oh, yeah, that's right. We went to the terrorists responsible for 9-11. And we, we thought that that was a good plan, because that's what we've sold the American people, that somehow negotiating with terrorists and giving material support to terrorists is more secure for the future of this country, never mind, you know, all of the other related issues that the reason you don't have human intelligence is that you're murdering your allies. And they were the ones giving you the the honest intelligence. So you
3: think the Taliban oh. told us that that's where ISIS-K was?
11: They said that they talked to the Taliban. They said they've been sharing information. By information, they mean intelligence. They said that they turned to them to help secure Kabul. Do you know that the the most lethal unit inside the Taliban is called the Badri Brigade? They are the killers, right? They are the enforcers. They enforce internal discipline, but they do all the high-profile attacks. Guess who runs the Badri Brigade? Haqqani, Siraj Haqqani, foreign terrorists uh, designated in 2012 by the U.S. government. Guess who created the Badru Brigade? Oh, yeah, Pakistan's ISI. Who's, who's their boy? Siraj Akhani is their boy. And by the way, this works in the intelligence world. When we have a, an intelligence asset like that, like Pakistani intelligence is in Pakistan, the CIA has relationships with them. They manage these relationships. Don't think for one second that there isn't constant communication between all of them. And yet you've heard no recriminations. you you've heard they haven't called them out once and what they did was they said it wasn't a blind strike Mackenzie used those words, him or Milley, I don't remember. They said it wasn't a blind strike. Well, if it wasn't blind, it means somebody on the ground told you what to hit. And if we didn't have people on the ground, it was them. So, you know, they're contradicting themselves in all these press conferences, but nobody knows enough about how these things are done to really hold their feet to the fire. And they just lie and lie and lie. And, you know, while I agree with your, you know, your last interview about how these are political decisions, at what point do the generals have... Have a responsibility to stand up to the political decisions and say, this is a mistake. I don't buy that. It, these are political decisions, but you don't have to go along with them. You know what you can do? You can resign. You can actually walk away. There's a lot of things you can do. Just like right now, you could use stealth UAVs to destroy every piece of American equipment that they have, every attack plane, and everything else. You know why they're not, Brian? Because they're making secret deals with Al Qaeda and the Taliban, who are the same thing. So you're saying the
3: U.S. intelligence are making deals right now, rather than? I heard that we're selling. Iran was in Kabul buying Blackhawks.
11: Yes. I mean, I haven't heard that, but it would not surprise me one bit. You know why? Because two major figures in the Taliban ran training camps, Taliban terror training camps, with the IRGC in the north of Iran for years. You know, these are their we'll neighbors. Been you think was. they don't have yeah. relationships? Of course they have relationships with them. But you know what else? What they're not telling you is while we're pretending that, oh, because the Afghans surrendered, you know, these weapons fell into the terrorist's hands, they're not saying that that's a choice to leave them there, and they're not telling you that the Afghan Air Force pilots who flew across the border into Uzbekistan and landed there, their assets were were impounded, the Uzbeks held onto them, and you know what the United States did? They ordered them to be returned to Afghanistan, not to our allies. Not to the Afghan forces. No way. But to the terrorists responsible for nine eleven. Oh yeah. Wait a second. So we flew
3: those we flew those jets back and those helicopters back.
11: They were ordered to send them back. You know why? And you know what else? We had ultra-sensitive, top-secret intelligence gathering capability on, those, on two of those aircraft. We're talking about MI-17 special mission wing units, Black Hawk helicopters, Little Birds, you know, close air support, all that. There was a, there was a significant amount of resources there, and we ordered it returned, and you know what else we did? We ordered it returned without stripping the, the ISR and the intelligence packages off that. That's what we did. We actually said, give it back to them, and every god on that base knew about it. People on the ground knew about it. I found out about it and reported it, and I don't know where it's gone since then, because there's so much that is going on that is difficult to confirm. I now know that al-Qaeda is leading the operation in the Panjshia Valley. Imagine being a special operations soldier in Afghanistan. You know, you bleed and die with Americans at your side. You believe in each other. You are the band of brothers, right? Of this war, you are the band of brothers carrying this fight. You do thousands of missions. You watch so many of your, your brothers die and have their legs blown off. And then what happens? A few weeks later, we're the ones helping al-Qaeda and the Taliban kill you. We're helping them target you. We take your phone numbers, your addresses of your families, the lists of them, your biometrics. We give it to your enemies. And then we say, oh, well, you know, you're going to be fine. Just head for the airport, which is exactly where, you know, the Taliban, um, what they did is they have different levels of checkpoints. And that Badri unit that is run by Siraj Akhandi. That is their most lethal and ruthless. They put those at the innermost core of the airport. Oh, guess what happened there? 13 American servicemen were killed, weren't they? You know, why is nobody outraged about this? I don't understand it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm. Just, I have the first time I heard this is with, with you just now. I understand negotiations were going on. I'm just reading the Wall Street Journal story. I did not know we were giving them back, those pilots who yes. took their families and gave them back.
11: Well, the pilots, you know, some of them were allowed to go to Dubai, but we gave the assets back. And this is, why would you arm terrorists? You just tell me that. We didn't have to do any of it, Brian. You know, the, of the course, Special we Operations... Yeah. The commandos, they're a high mobility unit. You understand what that means. You fly in, you take care of a job, and you leave, right? That's what our Delta operators and people like that do. You know what happens to you if you take the air assets away, which we did with air support? You can't, you have no mobility. So when you're out of ammo and you're, uh, you cannot be resupplied and you've got no exfil, you can't leave, what happens? You get... And that's what was happening. On top of that, you know, we took away the contractors who keep the Afghan air force in the skies. When you, you know how many days a Black Hawk can last in the air without being taken out and fully maintained? I mean, that's 30 days or something like that. You know, when you're flying in combat, maybe it's a little more, maybe it's a little less, depending on the op tempo. But, but for our safety standards, these things don't keep themselves in the sky. It's extremely sophisticated, and what we see right now is China, Russia, Iran, all of our greatest adversaries are getting access to all of this technology, including Pakistan, by the way. Which it's time to stop calling Pakistan an ally, because we, you know, we you hear on the hill, this is all they say through Bush, through. Uh, uh, you know, Obama through Trump and now through Biden, you hear the same nonsense. Well, Pakistan's got nuclear weapons. They have some tactical nukes. They don't even have the capability to deliver those systems properly. And it's a fraction of what, of what we have and what our allies have. So you're going to be held hostage and you're going to tell me that those weapons, do you feel they're safer today, Brian, than they were before you created a, a terrorist super state that right. you are, the United States government is rushing to uh, recognize. You know what that means? right now the Taliban can't travel. You know why? Because 17 of the 33 ministers in their caliphate are on the UN sanctions list for terrorists. So, and they've been there since when? Since February and January of 2001, Brock. 19 years, Pakistan sheltered these people. They are the exact same Taliban leaders that we forced into Pakistan the first time. And by the way, why did we force them into Pakistan? Why did we not have any troops on that border? You know, that is one of the unanswered questions of this war. We, you know, me included, we just accept this, honestly, this nonsense that we get fed by these generals and these leaders when they say, oh, you know, we relied on Pakistan. Really? You went all the way over there. You ran a bombing campaign. You risked people's lives. You took over a whole country. You bombed in Tora Bora for how long? And then you knew, you knew where they were going because that's where they came from in the first place, and you didn't put any troops on the border. And then you told your allies not even to go into Kabul because you don't want to upset the the Pashtun. I just spoke to someone who is, you know, very close relative, was in a meeting with President Ghani, the coward who fled and abandoned his people in Dubai, where he is living, by the way, in relative luxury right now. And he said in his meeting, look what I have done for the Pashtun. I've done more for the Pashtuns than anyone in history, because the Pashtuns are the biggest tribe. That's the Taliban's tribe. And he said, if it weren't for me, the Tajiks and the Uzbeks and all the others, they would have taken more than 50 percent of the power. Think about that. Ghani Ghani has been a CIA asset forever, forever forever. I have confirmed that with U.S. intel sources, with Afghan intel sources. So when the president talks about being sources, so
3: disappointed, both President Trump and Biden say, oh, you know, this guy's really disappointing. Uh, he's corrupt. Mike Pompeo's yes, or something sir. similar. So they're, they're talking about an asset of the CIA when they say that?
11: 100%. And, you know, they'll say, oh, that's not true. You know, and you'll have every journalist in America calling them up and they'll all be saying to me, oh, it's not true. And BS. I'm, I'm telling you, it is I have had it confirmed from so many sources, and by the way, for a long, long time, a long time, for years. How do you think they got Ghani introduced over there anyway? He was the most unpopular president ever. Nobody had ever heard of him. His first job under Karzai in the very first Afghan government was head of demobilization and disarmament. And you know who he demobilized and disarmed, Brian? One guess. The North. All the warlords that fought with the U.S., Abdul Rashid Dostum and Mohammed Atanur and Ismail Khan, guess who he didn't disarm? You know whose weapons he didn't take away? Oh, yeah, that's right, the Taliban in Helmand and Kandahar and Zabul and all these other provinces where uh, they have kept their weapons and they have flourished. And guess what? When he was finance minister, his next job you know what he did? He poured money into the Taliban areas. And I remember actually doing a 60-minute story where we talked about the fact that Hellman at that time received more agricultural assistance and money than any other piece of agricultural land, arable land, anywhere in the world. And at the same time, you know what? The U.S. generals and the U.S. diplomats and U.S. leaders, what were they pushing? They were pushing the line that ideology had no part in this right. you know, towards the end of the Bush administration, and certainly from the time Obama was elected, we started to get you know have this bull, this nonsense pushed at us that was all about oh, ideology is not part of this, it's because people are poor and they're just paying some poor village boy, and if you just give them opportunity, and I would say to them. Those are not the guys you need to worry about. Yes, they exist. But the ones you need to worry about are the ones who ideologically, for their ideology to exist, we cannot exist.
3: I know. We cannot exist. We got How it. it, it the South is Sunnis, especially. So I want you to hear what David Martin said, your former, I guess, colleague at CBS uh, on Face the Nation yesterday. Cut 30.
1: Okay. The chairman of the chief, Joint Chiefs of Staff, the chief military advisor to the president, said, don't do it, don't do it this way. And the Secretary of Defense, General Austin, said the same thing to President Biden, and he dismissed it.
6: He didn't dismiss it. He listened. They all give him credit for listening. Um, but he just wasn't buying it. He just did not believe that it was worth the candle to remain in Afghanistan. Um, remember, uh Lloyd Austin had seen this movie before because he was the commander in Iraq during the Obama administration when the Obama administration pulled all its combat troops out of Iraq, which gave rise to ISIS. And then he was the commander of the U.S. Central Command when ISIS came storming out of uh, Mm -hmm. Syria, and we had to basically... uh, Fight the uh, the war of Iraq, and was consistent with that.
3: Uh, that is Vice President Biden, now President Biden. Same thing: pull out, over overrule your military commanders. Do you believe all this?
11: Well, this is what I can tell you with a hundred percent certainty, Brian. There was, when Biden came into office, there was a VTC. Millie, General Milley and General McKenzie and General Scotty Miller were all there. And Scotty Miller briefed Biden and his administration in front of Milley and McKenzie on the plan that had been developed during the Trump administration. And Biden said no. And you know what Milley and McKenzie said? Nothing. They said absolutely nothing. So they're worthless. I've spoken to people who were on that VTC, a number of them, and I know this for a fact. Scotty Miller briefed that plan and McKenzie and Austin didn't say a word. And you know what? You know, it's time for people to stop covering up for these generals because they are political appointees. When they get their three stars, they are no longer just going through, you know, indoctrination camps, which we call universities. Right. Because that's what happens. They go into all these colleges and they're coming out and that's they're not actually coming out as military leaders. They're coming out as military apologists. Where they're apologizing Laura, to boost everybody that they're not knuckle dragging.
3: Thanks so much. I appreciate it. You're right. They should be responsible. It's not just the president. These guys should stand for something. Laura Logan, thanks.
2: A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: The other big news that happened today is now for five to 12 year olds, Pfizer said we have a booster shot that is good for kids. Now, the FDA hasn't approved it. Didn't stop three weeks ago. I think it was three weeks when uh, Joe Biden, in my view, was having such a terrible week with Afghanistan. He goes, I have a, a noon press conference to announce COVID uh, news. OK. And then he berates everyone for not getting vaccinated, even though 75 percent of the public got at least one shot. He berates everybody. And then he says booster shots are in. We've looked at Israeli studies and we think that, you know, there is uh, it stops being uh, uh, less effective after about nine months. So we think we should go get a booster. The problem is the FDA didn't say that. Because of that, two people resigned. Because of that, they put it in front of the board. And two, uh, they put it in front of their board and their advisory board, and they said uh, 16 to 2. No, no booster shot. Why? Because 65 and over, go ahead and get it, maybe additional protection. But only 2% of the people in hospitals... Right now, hospitalizations are people that have gotten the vaccine. That doesn't show that we need to give people a third shot. And to be honest, we look a little like pigs. We have a, a whole continent of Africa where no one's gotten a shot, very few. And now we're going for a third shot because the Israelis have a study that said that. We have our own studies. We have our own people. We've got a two-year track record. Has anyone been writing anything down? Can we do some math and do a flow chart or a pie chart ourselves? And Anthony Fauci is pretending as if this isn't a big deal. You'll hear more about this a little bit later on in different hours of the Monday edition of the show and throughout the week, because I think people are beginning to get on to him outside Fox.
2: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Joe, coming to you from New York City, heard around the country, heard around the world. Bottom of the hour, we're going to be talking to James Mur, uh, J- Mur, James Murray. He's writer, executive producer of the hit TV show Practical Jokers. If you've watched that, uh, it is fantastic. Uh, runaway hit. Uh, they're all buddies, and uh, they've done a great job. Uh, and now he's done a tremendous job with this series of fictional novels. Uh, he's going to be joining us live. Michael Goodwin here at the top of the hour. He talks about General Milley and what this guy actually does. He's an egomaniac uh, gone rogue. I don't care what Bob Costa says or what Bob Woodward says. Let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big
4: Three. Number three. On Wednesday, you said in an interview, quote, if they say we don't think there's enough data to do a booster, then so be it. I think that would be a mistake. But now you're saying you don't think it was a mistake.
5: No, I mean, I. you know, when I was saying that mistake, my own personal looking at this, I believe you're going to see an evolution of this process.
3: Yes, it was a mistake. Evolution. You'll eventually win. Yes, the Giants would have eventually beat the Redskins if they didn't lose. Get it together. That's my advice to the COVID confusion on boosters, natural immunity, mandate mania. President Biden's done the impossible. He created more division and anger and contradictions. And can someone please tell Anthony Fauci no one listens or believes him anymore? And that's the exact reason why. Plus, this just in Pfizer says COVID vaccine is safe for effective and effective for kids five to 11. But the FDA hasn't. So, Mr. President, stay on vacation.
6: Number two.
7: This is a problem on the border that Biden has not addressed. And, and Biden, in his early comments after becoming president, predicted that the, the flow of, of immigrants uh, uh, across the southern border would go down as the weather changed. But we are seeing record numbers at the border before we saw uh, the crisis under that bridge.
3: A border crisis even the Biden administration could not ignore. While trying to blind the public to its magnitude by grounding Fox's drones, unbelievable images reveal. All but seven, oh, excuse me, all but the seven-month invasion of our nation. How Haitians are beginning to surge our border at the tune of 15,000 last week. Their evil pace and even other media outlets are noticing number
9: one I'm not going to deal with the top line number I, I suspect it will be somewhat less than 3.5 trillion remember that's over ten years and uh, this is basically about five percent more than we're going to spend anyway we're probably going to slip past the September 27th date sometime yeah. into early October would be my best guess
3: uh, Kentucky Democratic congressman John Yarmouth uh, almost dead that's what some say is the case with this massive three to five trillion dollar socialist Sanders spending Palooza and Dems is solely to blame as they now learn the important agenda item, uh, including legalizing 10 million illegals, is blocked by the parliamentarian. So that's some rare good news. Michael Goodwin joins us now, Fox News contributor, New York Post columnist. Michael, first off, some good news. As they try to jam this $3.5 trillion unaffordable, cradle-to-grave socialist agenda, they tried to put illegal immigration, legalizing 10 million illegals uh, in there, and a parliamentarian said no.
12: Well, that, you're right, Brian. That is a rare bit of good news coming from Washington these days. Um, I, I don't know why the Democrats—well, I guess I do know why, but but they're kind of gopher broke on everything. Um, at first, I thought, you know, this is more or less just a sop to the far left. They'll be defeated, you know, by the parliamentarian, by the Supreme Court, whatever, by the courts on packing the court. But I'm beginning to believe that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden, the so-called moderates of the Democratic Party, the restraining forces, really do want these things. They really do want to break the filibuster. They really do want to pack the courts. They really do want to bankrupt the nation uh, and, and make our tax system uncompetitive with the rest of the world. I mean, it's a very strange phenomenon. It's like the whole party has just swallowed all of these nostrums from the far, far left and wants to make them law. Uh, you know, Joe Manchin is a very very thin blue line on all of this stuff, uh, as is Kirsten Cinema. I mean, there doesn't seem to be much of a traditional Democratic Party uh, intact. It seems all to have been taken over by this far-left uh, nonsense. Whether it's out of fear that they'll lose their job if they don't go along or sincere belief in it, it doesn't much matter. Right. This is what they're doing now. But I'll
3: tell you what, it is good news. It looks like Cinema and others and Manchin did not succumb to the one-on-one pressure that President Biden always prides himself on his persuasive ability. Neither one of them budged, reportedly. And in the House, these moderates are saying if they blow up the bipartisan deal, which some are unhappy with at one point, Two trillion with five hundred sixty billion of new money. If they blow that up, the moderates say we're not even going to touch this three point five trillion. It looks like it's a legitimate impasse. I mean, my hope is that people are sobering up and are realizing Joe Biden's approval is at forty two percent and dropping. You cannot line up behind him and expect to be protected.
12: No, that's right. Uh, you, I was looking at the uh, the approval numbers and. Yeah, uh, with one or two exceptions, a Fox poll had him actually the highest at 50. Uh, everything now is trending down, and it's it's not just one poll. It's I think four or five different polls from different outlets, uh, all showing a sharp decrease, uh, particularly over the Afghanistan issue. And I I continue to believe, Brian that we have not heard the last of that Uh, the the continuing efforts there to get people out the refusal of the Taliban I mean they are clearly now I, I believe treating these people as hostages whom they can trade for money or other favors. Uh, the continued breakdown of the president's relation with Europe, which started over the Afghan withdrawal when he didn't really give them much of a heads up or any say in the matter. and They had their own citizens and military there, the Brits and the French especially. Uh, And now this thing with the French and the nuclear weapons. I mean, it just seems to be one big blunder after another. These things don't don't feel as though there's a strategic purpose behind the way he's going about it. It feels like he's just blundering into mistakes. So I think all of this is going to wear on his popularity. And as you correctly suggest, it's going to make it harder for Democrats in Congress to get behind him if he looks like he's a sinking ship.
3: Think about what's happened over the weekend. So by, by Wednesday, there was 7,000 under that Del Rio-Texas bridge, mostly Haitians. But get this, Michael. there are Haitians that have been living in Brazil and Chile for the most part for two or three years. They were told, go to the border. Now's the time to get in. How do they get that message from the Biden agenda? And the vice president in charge of the root causes was flipping a coin at Howard University before a football game. So then by, by Saturday, they had 15,000 there. Who's feeding them? Where are they getting their clothes? How are they taking care of themselves? So now they said the problem is Fox's drones are revealing this mat, this human catastrophe. So they grounded the drones rather than fix the problem. And to our credit, Bill Maloujin got a boat and got a helicopter and didn't stop. And then they realized we could let them fight the, uh, let them fly the drones. Why they think they could get away with blinding the media? Now they have other people looking at it. Listen to Mayorkas when he realizes HHS secretary had to do something. Cut eight.
10: We certainly are experiencing a challenging situation, but we are surging resources and we have a multi-pronged approach to this. We are moving people, as has been noted, uh, very rapidly to other processing centers to ensure their safety and security. I don't believe that.
3: They've uh, they've took a few hundred back to Haiti. Now what? I mean, what are we going to do with the other 15,000? Do we even have enough planes to move them?
12: You know, uh, listen to Majorca speak. It, it was almost Challenging. like uh, you, you, you could hear a coach saying to him, say the word sir." Uh, don't say it's a don't say it's a problem. Say it's a challenging situation. Right. This is all this is all bureaucratic nonsense. There is a crisis. There has been a crisis. It was created by the Biden administration. And everybody knows that it didn't. It, they didn't inherit this crisis. They created this crisis. They inherited solutions. They opted to break those solutions and create a crisis. And, and, the, and then they expect Uh, people around the world uh, to tell them uh, to to listen to them when they say don't come now why shouldn't they come now (laughs) they're going to get in for the most part you're not going to stop them and the odds for them are so much better I mean this is frankly in an odd way this is capitalism at work the people are people are voting with their feet to come to the United States for a better life It's a better life than they would have in Haiti, certainly. It's a better life than they would have in Brazil, or certainly in the Northern Triangle countries. How hard is it for the Biden administration to accept that? I mean, maybe part of the problem is so many of the far left hate America so much, they can't imagine that people from around the world want to come. But they still want to come, no matter how much the left demonizes America, people around the world see it still is the shining city on the hill.
3: I want to try to get two more topics quick, excluding your column. You've talked about General Milley. feels he knows more. He's going to deal with China who for some mystical reason thinks that Donald Trump, Mr. Anti-War... Uh, was going to start bombing them in order to stay in office. So I don't know if that's legitimate or not. I thought China had great intelligence on America. I thought they did profiles on all our leaders they infiltrated our colleges. They're part of our curriculum. They're messing with our social media, but they're under the mit on this inexplicable belief that Donald Trump is going to start bombing them because he is having trouble admitting he lost the election. So Milley has to de escalate by saying, I will give you an advance notice. If I'm going to bomb you, I promise I've known you for five years. What are you talking about? And I gave it I told other people because I think Donald Trump is in, in mental decline. What is your take of this whole incident?
12: Well, look, I, I, I think what Milley did is is borderline treason, if not actual treason. Uh, he has no right to usurp the power of the president to decide whether to declare war. Uh, This is not his role. He is not the commander in chief. He is the top military man, and in our Constitution, the military answers to the civilian elected officials. Donald Trump is the civilian elected official. Mike Pence is the elected vice president. Where is Mike Pence in all of this? Why didn't Millie go to Pence and Absolutely. say, "I'm having this problem with the president"? Instead, he Meadows. calls our adversaries.
3: The chief of staff, Mark Meadows. Listen, uh, right. you know, listen. We, we're, you know, we we work for the president. Secretary I know, but are you getting concerned. I mean, you get a concerned. I think he's to too angry. That's it's no problem. Uh, and but then, what do you think of this Sussman indictment from uh, John Durham?
12: I think it's a serious charge. Uh, and what it does is reveal that the Hillary Clinton campaign was not only behind all of these things, the Steele dossier, as well as the Sussman efforts to, uh, to incriminate Trump over a bank issue, uh, but, but they were trying to do it in a secretive way. And so they're going to the FBI about it. They're going to the media about it. My problem, Brian, I mean I think it's a serious charge as as was Durham's earlier indictment of Kevin Kleinsmith, the FBI lawyer who lied to get a FISA application. The problem is that is that these are disparate parts of what we know to be a larger scheme. And so far, these disparate parts have not connected or nope. been connected to the larger scheme, which is it was being run Clinton out of the White House. Joe Biden was involved. Barack Obama was involved. Uh, James Comey was involved. All of these people with the spying and the leaking and all of these things. And Dorham is sort of picking off these things that are out there. But but I think he's going to run out of time. He, he'll, he'll be kicked out of that special counsel role, I think, perhaps sooner rather than later. And we'll, we'll never get the full truth. Many of us, I mean, we all know generally what happened. But the accountability for what I think is the dirtiest, dirty trick in the history of American politics will be lacking by the time this is finished.
3: And think about it, Michael. Any other person... Uh, That was president would have just acquiesced, cut a deal and left. But Trump does not know how not to fight. He knew how wrong it was. He knew he had no connections to Russia. He knew he wasn't Vladimir Putin didn't get him elected. They never gave him credit for the victory. And when they started to fight, he blew up and they said, wow, how unbecoming. Uh, that's not presidential. Oh, you should let yourself be a victim. Instead, he said, I'm doubling, tripling down, called everybody out every step of the way, made massive enemies of the media, many of which were totally complicit. And their ratings and revenue were coming off this Russia investigation. And in the end, it was made of paper mache That's why I believe that William Barr is the MVP in this situation. And the president was so wrong to disparage him when he, uh, uh, kicking him out the door in the end. Do you agree?
12: I do. Uh, I I think Barr was uh, an important player in that he recognized what had happened, the seriousness of it. He criticized the media for not being more uh, involved in in understanding what was going on, but instead just fanning the flames, I believe is a phrase he used. Yes, I think the president uh, doesn't realize how lucky he was to have Bill Barr. But listen, listen, Brian, you and I have talked about this before. This is one of Donald Trump's great failings. If you ever cross him one time, if you ever disagree with him or don't do what he wants, He writes you off and condemns you, and that's what he's done with Mitch McConnell. He and Mitch McConnell were a great team on the court issue and other issues, the the tax cut, but he and McConnell have a falling out, and now he's got to destroy McConnell. It's a great failing of Donald Trump's, and I think it will not help him uh, broaden his base. He has to broaden his appeal, not narrow it.
3: Yep, if he wants to win again, so certainly. And this is and Joe Biden's making it possible. If the president's got to change his his game plan uh, and his approach, but uh, we'll see um, if he'll listen to people that care about him. Uh, Michael Goodwin, great column again. Thank you so much.
12: My pleasure, Brian. Thank you, you.
3: Hey, when we come back, uh, I'll take your calls one eight six six four zero eight. Seven six six nine, And you can write me, BrianKilmead.com, if you're in a situation where you're going to work again and you really can't make a phone call in the middle of the day. I get it. BrianKilmead.com. Just click on comments, and I'll be sure to read them. This is The Brian Kilmead Show.
2: Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmead. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Plan...
12: It's for every every adult to get a booster shot eight months after you got your second shot. Pending approval from the Food and Drug Administration, the CDC's committee of outside experts will be ready to start these booster this booster program during the week of September 20.
3: Right. The
12: only problem is we
3: did not forget about the FDA, and you did, Joe. You had to break up the Afghanistan narrative, which was terrible. The worst, uh, the worst explosion of a country we're at war with ever, giving the Taliban and all our equipment back to them. So how do you change? Well, you do the thing that you evidently get the highest ratings at, and that's COVID coverage. We're going to talk about boosters. We all need boosters. And Joe Biden's the one to do it. And that's why the study showed that we should do it. And his people recommended that they do it. His people like Anthony Fauci. And the most overrated doctor, the second most overrated doctor, Dr. Collins, they recommended. The problem is the FDA said, no, I'm looking at Israel. I don't think we should do that. Israel, we only have in America, only 2% of those hospitalized are unvaccinated. It shows it's not a a problem. So we're not going to do it. And if you make me do it, I quit. And they're going to quit anyway. Joke.
2: The more you
4: listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. On Wednesday, you said in an interview, quote, if they say we don't think there's enough data to do a booster, then so be it. I think that would be a mistake, to be honest with you. So on Wednesday, you said it would be a mistake. So but now you're saying you don't think it was a mistake.
5: No, I mean, I you know, when I was saying that mistake, my own personal looking at this again, Just because I look at the data and say I would do it this way, that's the reason why we have qualified groups of people who together as a committee examine all the data and make a decision. So I have no problem at all with their decision. The thing that I'm saying is that data will continue to come in, and I believe you're going to see an evolution of this process as we go on in the next several weeks to months.
3: Okay. He got caught. He got nailed. His advice was not confirmed by the FDA, and the president got ahead of it. Does that hurt the cause when you say things that are contradicted days later by whomever? Cut 20.
4: So Dr. Jesse Goodman, the FDA's former chief scientist, told CNN on Friday that that Biden making that announcement a month ahead of time, before the FDA, before the CDC made theirs, was, quote, backwards and not helpful. And at the very least even though he did say pending approval of the FDA. This is causing more confusion. Wasn't it a mistake for the president to announce this before the FDA and CDC issued their guidance?
5: Jake, I don't think so. The president was very clear, as was the medical group, when we said, we are planning to do this. And it was always said in his official statement, in the official written statement from all of us, including the FDA and the CDC that was pending and on the condition of the examination of all of the data by the FDA. It's understandable how there could have been some confusion, but what was said was pretty clear.
3: Unbelievable that he was allowed to go away with that. I'm so glad Jake Tapper asked him a moderately tough question just to hold him accountable, and he tap-danced away from it. Where with Trump, you bring that up, and he was like, yeah, it's not helpful when you get two messages coming out of the government because people at this point are confused about the magnitude of this pandemic. You could just hear him answering totally differently. So when it came to natural immunity, listen to this, cut 22.
4: What's your answer when people say, Why does Biden's uh, new federal vaccine mandate have to apply to people that have had COVID, given that they have some protection already?
5: Yeah, it is true. They do have protection. The one thing that we are not aware of yet, and hopefully we'll get that data, is what the durability of protection is and looking ahead, whether or not that type of uh, protection that's induced by natural infection how that will be against a variety of variants as they arrive. I'm not denying at all that people who get infected and recover have a considerable degree of immunity. We also know, and I think we should not let this pass without saying it, that when you get infected and recover, A, you get a good degree of immunity, but B, when you get vaccinated, you dramatically increase that protection.
3: Well, that's it. So we don't know the durability if you have it and recover. But we do know if you give both, it's better. How do you know the durability of anything? We're new to this. We have two years in. If you get it, you have immunity but we have questions about the durability there but that brand new vaccine we don't question the durability for more on that let's bring in medical expert James Murray he's a writer executive producer of impractical jokers and uh he's also got a, br- a new book that's uh, not at all about this called the stowaway uh better known as Murr in the medical business uh uh James how would you uh how would you build on on Fauci's
0: statements well i would say this uh as a medical expert in my opinion uh the fact that you are aging so gracefully is really? a medical miracle. Right, you somehow get better looking right. with age. Well, I agree with that. But yeah. back to the the question: your medical background starts y- where? Yeah, I mean, well, Georgetown, of course. I, right. I, I went there, and and um, did got you a, take classes or just go to the campus? I I, I, I was outside the classrooms, right. I, but I I you could I absorbed a lot
13: of it. They I didn't think. have
0: the
3: air conditioning, so no. they left the door open, allowing people in the hallway to get the degree. I did. Yes. You just don't have the stethoscope.
0: That's right. I I did the old cup to the ear to the door kind of trick, and it worked. And now here I am. Uh, astounded by your good looks,
3: it's <laughs> really full circle.
0: Yeah. Uh, you are way too dressed up. I mean, I, I'm trying to match you, Brian. Like, but, I, but I, this,
3: my job requires me to be dressed yeah, up.
0: I was just co-host on Good uh, Good Day New York. You did not. Yes. So I, you co-hosted the whole time. I co-hosted. Time? Yeah, I, I, I do that from time to time. I pop in. I need a,
3: uh, another day job. I did you not know? know that. Channel Five in yes, New York. Yeah. WNYW. That's that's it. So were you covering things other than a practical? Yes, joke I covered.
0: I covered the new Don Knotts book. <laughs> I, I did a cannoli eating contest. You know, though, I, I do the, I run the gamut as a medical professional. You know how we do.
3: Right, uh, which is interesting because they'll, have you, they'll broaden your horizons. You're not just about medicine.
0: No, no, no. didn't myrrh, not just about medicine anymore. Right, exactly. that's good.
3: By the way, the, there's a new Don Knotts book?
0: There is. His daughter wrote it, Karen Knotts, and it's excellent. I've read a lot of it last night, and, of course, I was a huge Don Knotts fan. As well as the Stowaway fan, which is my book that comes out tomorrow,
3: right? Which has nothing to do with your medical background,
0: no, nor as anything to do with Don Knotts, right? Yeah. Which is
3: weird. Why not put Don Knotts in the book?
0: It's a thriller that takes place on uh, on a transatlantic cruise. I also Don Knotts passed away in two thousand six, so I wasn't sure how to get him in the book, right? Yeah. But
3: that's why you have friends, and you yeah. work with them every day. You couldn't have asked one of your friends on Impractical Jokers, "How do I get Don Knotts in this?" I, I, I did, and they they they. they the thing is, this they blocked they have, my
0: phone number years right, ago, right? So, Which is crazy. They, none of them answered. You
3: made their careers, they can't block you. You know, this what? was your idea to no. circle your friends back and make this Impractical Joker series, this runaway hit. It, it was all of our ideas, but I am the looks
0: of the show for right. sure. So, I think that the good looks, the skinny frame kind of push us over the edge in terms of popularity.
3: So listen, um, let's be honest. You're not a medical expert, but you do like Don Knotts. I I do. Of course, I'm a
0: comedian uh, by trade. Uh, My mom thinks I'm funny. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, you know, I was a huge Don Knotts fan and a huge Stowaway fan as well.
3: I want to talk about that, but I want you, people that don't know, that have not, the three people in the world that have not heard any of the Impractical Jokers, here's, it's visual. Yes. So we had to find something that we think would not be visual. This is you on the street pretending to read from your daughter's diary. Got it. And truth be told, you do not have a daughter old enough to have a diary. No, but I do have a diary. Right. Yes. But that's about the only truth that's we have. That's the only truth. So it? let's listen to a little of it. Dear
0: Diary, Dad broke his wrist trying to push a pool door today. I saw him winding up to push it, and I yelled, it's a pull!" And he said, okay, four eyes. Then he sped up to burst through but smashed into the door and writhed in pain. Now he's suing my school again, (laughs) FML. Let's read one more. Dear Diary, I know daddy was in my room again because the Barbies were wrestling. They were all upside down on top of each other, head to toe. Stewardess Barbie was missing, so I went to check his shower, and sure enough, there she was. I need a
3: lock, Diary.
8: Yeah, she definitely does.
3: (laughs) So could you set the scene a little, like you just re- randomly reading to people on the street, asking for their advice how to handle this. The idea
0: for that challenge was this. We uh, we sit next to a stranger in the park, and we go to open our laptop case, and we're like, uh-oh. We didn't realize we grabbed our daughter's bag, and inside is her diary. And as a parent, we have to read. And you have to get the, the person on the street to say, yeah, sure, read one more. You have to get through three diary entries. And we have no idea, of course, what the diary says the other guys have written for us.
3: How many... And if any, maybe none of them, do you ever do have a premise and it just doesn't work? Like you you go to a half hour, 45 minutes, like this is not, I'm not getting traction on this. We have one that
0: we always wanted to do that we don't have the nerve to do, which Which is is? the name of the challenge is speak now or forever hold your peace. The idea is the loser has to go to a stranger's wedding. When they say speak now, forever hold your peace, he has to raise his hand, (laughs) object (laughs) to the wedding, (laughs) go into detail why he objects, then realize he's at the wrong wedding, apologize and leave. That to me seems like so you guys. I don't want to get my butt handed to me so that, you know, we don't have the nerve. None of us have the cojones to do it.
3: Because, you know, the wedding's so perfect for you because half the wedding doesn't know the other half. Yes, exactly right. This is a room full of strangers. Right. But they all hate you. <laughs> right. Fantastic. So, listen, you're going to be on Fox & Friends tomorrow. Indeed. But let's talk about your this this series you have going on this is your third book this is my fifth book your and fifth i
0: have three book. more coming out next year right. this is a, a book called the stowaway it's a thriller it's about a woman named maria fontana who's a juror on a the trial of the century a serial killer who's been accused of uh ho- horrifically uh murdering these a number of children and she can't bring herself to find him guilty he goes free Two years later, she's on a transatlantic cruise with her twins and her fiancé, and halfway across the Atlantic, three days in any direction from land, people start to go missing in the same way that the killer killed people years ago. And she starts to wonder, is he on the boat? Did I vote wrong? Is there something else, a copycat or something more sinister at play? And it's up to her to stop him before he kills again.
3: Now, do you even know how this ends?
0: I, I wrote it. So yeah, it's so compelling. Yes, I I, I I do know the ending, and you it, should not give it away. Uh, it's the kind of thriller if you love mysteries, if you love Silence of the Lambs, this is the book for you because it'll keep you guessing to the very end who the killer actually is.
3: Wow! And where do you get these ideas? Uh, the the
0: Practical Jover's cruise, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, we, the guys and I do a, a cruise to the Caribbean with fans every year. You know, we have like five thousand fans on a boat, and uh, and I wondered on the last cruise what it would be like if. The there was a murderer on board and it led to the stowaway wow you go but with, don't
3: worry the joker's cruises are safe now do you have times when you go on these cruises where you could just be with your family or is it constantly sign this autograph take this picture it's 24 hours a day work yeah five days a week right yeah yeah and so does your
0: family go yeah, they come uh, and they do their own thing while i'm i'm, I'm working To
3: to pay for their cruise, (laughs) it's unbelievable. But they appreciate you now. Yeah,
0: yeah, they never did before. Right. And here's the thing: you are married now. I am a happily married man. I uh, celebrate my one year anniversary this Saturday, and it made it through a pandemic. Yeah, You talking about quality time. I know timing. I know we we did a lot of gardening. We planned the wedding. Uh, we had a great—it's been, uh, you know, uh, we we thankfully didn't get sick, and we uh, we just had a great first year of marriage. I can't imagine a better first year. Right, and now you're back shooting another season. Yeah, we start shooting in a few months uh, for new episodes. But uh, you did uh, you did a season, though, already, right? We did, yeah. Season nine just aired. Right. And uh, we'll be back next year. It's
3: unbelievable. Yeah. Because I thought about you guys right away. By the way, it's so funny because in my town, in the town next to it, we have a theater— and the theater just went out of business during the pandemic, yep. and the only thing left on the billboard is your movie. Uh, I, I,
0: so, so, yes, <laughs> in LA too, there are movie theaters that are that are are, uh, are out of business, and the marquee still says "Impractical Jokers: The Movie." We were out in theaters for about twenty minutes.
3: <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, to me, it should have got the Emmy. It was the only movie of that year, but I loved it. Thank I thought you. the movie, and I'm saying to myself, "How do you take a reality show, a real reality show?" And make it a movie, but it actually worked, and all of you played your own yourselves, which made it easy to cast.
0: Yeah, and it was uh, it was a wild experience shooting the movie, and the punishment at the end, I lose the movie, and they made me fly outside of an airplane, on the wing and on top of the plane. And the only way they would produce the movie is if uh, they took a $15 million life insurance policy out of me in case I died doing it. And they would only let us film the movie if we shot it on the very last day. That way, if I died doing it, they could still release the movie. That is so crazy. Yeah. It'd be like in
3: memorial, in memoriam. Right. You. Uh, fame, you'd be a legend like Jim Morrison. There'd I be a lot it. of mystery to it. Um, hey, listen, uh, more for Mervyn. I can have you one more segment. I, I, I'll, I'll stay all right. day with you, bro. By the way, this is very rare for a guy like you to dress up. Like me. I'm not wearing pants. You can't see that. Right. It doesn't matter in radio. Yeah. Which is good. Uh, But we are seen on Fox Nation. So she's finally going to be famous. Uh, James Murray will be back in a moment. His brand new book is called The Stowaway. Uh, He is going to be here for one more segment, preview the next season and maybe another movie and maybe tomorrow's appearance on Fox and Friends. Back in a moment.
2: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmead.
3: Hey, welcome back everyone. I'm privileged to have with me in studio James, uh, James Murray, better known as Murray on practical jokers. Uh, author of a brand new book called *The Stowaway*, and Merv, fresh off—I did not know this—co-hosting Channel Five WNYW. That's what, that's my other job. Uh, yeah. So, do you think?
0: Do you like it that much that you want to do it? I love doing. It. I've I've co-hosted a number of times, and, and now uh, I do you actually enjoy do. it. Like I do, love it. it. What a different world. I mean, the world you live in too is so different from what we do in *Jokers*, and so different than writing books. I love it. I think it, the energy of the moment is great, and I usually, usually make a fool of myself. Uh,
3: and the thing is, you're probably better at live moments reacting to what happens. So. Don't You Wish You Were Hosting the Today Show Today, where it looks like a streaker ran by. Craig Melvin was live on the air, and a streaker came by. Streaker, according to the Webster's definition, does not have clothes. That that is the definition. Right. Uh, The Naked Runner. uh, We don't know who that is, but we do know how it sounded. Can we hear it? Oh, there's a there was almost a... naked winner.
9: Yeah. I just well, had something brand new from Hoda. New Copies Wait, There he goes.
1: A new podcast. Where, you, new why? podcast. Where are you? clothes? Get what, are you oh on. what are you doing? What are you doing? It's happening. Oh my gosh, Hoda. Hoda.
3: Dignity. And they just cut the commercial <laughs> yeah. in the middle of it. You would have just loved it if this I, happened. I, I love the commercials. Dignity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you have Hoda there who's trying to promote something, but they were kind of talking about it. But this is one thing. what Could that, and I'm just saying, you like promotion. You want to sell the stowaway. Yes. And the Today Show does get great ratings. Uh, are you suggesting could I paid? should streak the Today no, Show was to sell it? copies of what? my book? Was that you? Let's do it. Here we go. <laughs> no, 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 not on radio. Okay. Uh, but no, w- would you ever do something like that?
0: I, I, I you know. Yes. <laughs> I suppose. Well, if I'm, if somebody's betting me money on it. Right. If Brian, it was part you of the you show. put a crisp $5 bill on the table. I'll do it right now. $5? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cheap. I'm um, cheap.
3: Yeah. That, that to me is. Uh, I'm just thinking about you with in the morning show setting with the wide variety of things that does play to your strengths. Yes, does that feel natural? It does. I talked to Rosanna
0: Scott about that this morning. I mean, her job is basically improv. Sure, she's reading the teleprompter, but she has to be super, super quick and and just react instantly and and be funny and charming. I have nothing but great the greatest respect for that job. Man, oh man. Right. Now I just thought it might be. Now you're also on
3: stages. You would just tell me. You I just dropped this 6 months ago. Yes. So uh, tell me what the Mer show.
0: Yeah, I, I I perform uh solo stand up around the country. I have another show coming up in uh in Alabama in a few in like 2 3 weeks uh and that, that's Mer live. It's merlive.com. You can get tickets anywhere.
3: So you when you'll have clips from Impractical practical Jokers. Yeah, I show clips from my
0: own phone. He uh, so literally, I'll stream my phone to the screen, and people can scroll through and choose whatever they want, and I've got to explain myself. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's great. Now,
3: Murr, how, how did you deal with the pandemic here, being we, that you guys were always at interacting with people, and they told you, don't interact with people, don't go out? We had to reinvent the show, you know, but it came, we came
0: up with great solutions to do it. So, for example, we did a punishment the other day where um, uh, I played an astronaut in the space station, and a bunch of kids, there like 12 kids in a classroom on Zoom thinking they're dialing into the space station, but it's me right in a space suit ah. and they built this this set that looks just like the space station and the whole set rotated and the camera rotated with me so what the kids don't realize is that I'm upside down so when I'm eating spaghetti or drinking milk it's going up instead of down but I'm just upside down it looks like I'm normal side and then the kids reactions were gold like <laughs> they think they're talking to an astronaut look at me ne- I'd never make the space program
3: so you guys said for a while you said okay guess we'll sit it out and then after a while you thought I got we got to do something yeah yeah we we well you know the I
0: think the fans deserve that. I think that they deserve to be entertained. We all were kind of locked at home for a long time. So we created that show Dinner Party, where we just zoomed to having dinner together uh, last year. And uh, and the challenge is for us to keep reinventing the show, depending on how the world is going. So when
3: people think of the pandemic, they think of Michael Jordan's The Last Dance, and they think of the Impractical Jokers yeah. changing formats for America.
0: Basically, we're right up there with
3: number 23. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I think so. So listen, congratulations on the book. Thank it's you. I know it's not new, but I know you're going to be promoting for a while. But Thank go, you. Go and and you, grab can, it.
0: Uh, you can go to meetmurr.com to get tickets to the book launch or any of my in-person appearances this week uh, at stores across America.
3: All right, good. And um, we are her locally, too. So if you see Mur on the street, ask him for free tickets. Pick up the stowaway. Thank you, bud.
0: Live
2: from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Hi, everyone. Kilme. Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Dr. Nicole Sapphire standing by. We got new—I uh, guess you could say—Pfizer news, but as it relates to your kids, so stand by. And then we have Brett Bear at the bottom of the hour, giving us an idea of this biggest week so far in the Biden presidency. What's at stake? And man, not much has gone well for him. Quick note on economics, on your money. Uh, the stock market has uh, dropped almost uh, 500 points. It was up over 500. Uh, there's a few reasons for it, and we'll go over that. For some reason, President Biden, with all the swirling around, we're about to outline it. Feels as though it would be a good idea to arrive back at the White House around noon today after leaving about noon on Friday. Not much going on for him to really discuss. And he's coming to New York to speak to the United Nations. Maybe a little bit about climate change. We really could use that. Nothing like good climate change talk. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three. On Wednesday, you said in an interview, quote, if they say we don't think there's enough data to do a booster, then so be it. I think that would be a mistake, but now you're saying you don't think it was a mistake?
5: No, I mean, I, you know, when I was saying that mistake, my own personal looking at this, I believe you're gonna see an evolution of this process.
3: Wow, Dr. Anthony Fauci all over the place. Get it together. That's my advice to the COVID confusion on boosters, natural immunity, and mandate mania. President Biden has done the impossible. He has actually created more division and anger and contradictions. And can someone please tell Dr. Fauci uh, nobody listens or believes him anymore? He's all over the place. Plus, this just in, Pfizer says COVID vaccine is safe and effective for kids 5 to 11.
6: Number two,
7: this is a problem on the border that Biden has not addressed. and, and Biden, in his early comments after becoming president, predicted that the the flow of, of immigrants uh, uh, across the southern border would go down as the weather changed. But we are seeing record numbers at the border before we saw uh, the crisis under that bridge.
3: Jonathan Carl, a border crisis even the Biden administration could not ignore, and other networks are actually paying attention while trying to blind the public to the magnitude by grounding our drones. Unbelievable images reveal all uh, uh, the all-but-invasion over the last seven months to our nation, and now there's 15,000 mostly Haitians under a bridge in Texas.
13: Number
9: one. I'm not going to deal with the top line number. I, I suspect it will be somewhat less than $3.5 trillion. Remember, that's over 10 years, and uh, this is basically about 5% more than we're going to spend anyway. We're probably going to slip past the September 27th date. You think so? Sometime into early October would be my best guess.
3: That is uh, Chairman of the Budget Committee in the House, John Yarmouth. Almost dead. That's what some say is the case with the massive 3.5 trillion socialist Sanders spending palooza, and Dems are solely to blame. They now learn an important agenda item. To it is now out. The parliamentarian said, "You cannot put in a budget bill uh, the legalization of 10 million illegal aliens." Uh, that is blocked. Thank goodness. So, in the middle of the show on Fox and Friends today, we got word that uh, they are now okaying Luis Pfizer is through their studies the vaccine for 5 to 10-year-olds, okay? The FDA hasn't. So I don't know if the president learned anything from his booster announcement that the FDA nixed, but will he go out in front on that today? Dr. Nicole Sapphire joins us now, Fox News medical contributor, um, uh, author of Panic Attack, Playing Politics with the Science in the Fight Against COVID-19. Dr. Sapphire, welcome back.
1: Good morning, Brian. Happy Monday.
3: Uh, Same to you. First off, I got to ask you about the new news on Pfizer making the announcement.
1: Well, we have to be clear. Uh, this is just a presser that came out of Pfizer and BioNTech. They announced the results in a statement for their Phase 2-3 study in ages 5 to 11 years old. They have not submitted the data for peer review yet. You know, we're not able to look at it ourselves. And it actually hasn't been submitted for approval as of yet. This is just they are reporting on the results that they're seeing. And so that's an important clarification to make sure that we make um you know i've i've always had a few issues when it comes to the vaccines in young children and largely that is because i think that we have a paucity of data in how covid really does affect our young children and so i think we are at a very crucial point in the vaccine manufacturing and development at re- this point we need to know how how severe is COVID-19 in our children and do the benefits of vaccination outweigh the risks of potential vaccination
3: and of course they they handle the dosage they say one less potent shot with right now for kids younger
1: so what they actually did was they've done what's called a de-escalation study where they took the dose that we were giving to adults they And what they did was they started going less and less for children. And they found that if they gave a lesser dose, same as the adults, 21 days apart, that they were still able to mount a, the same immune response as young adults were to that full dose. So that's good to know that at this point they are using a lesser dose for these children, but the only metric that they've looked at thus far is how well of an immune response children are having to the vaccine. Um, And so, because only about 2,200 children were enrolled in the study, two-thirds of them actually were given the vaccine, the others were given a placebo, there's not a lot of data at this point is whether it's keeping children out of hospital, whether it's preventing severe COVID-19 and whether it's preventing MISC. and those are the metrics those are the endpoints we really want to know when we start discussing children and vaccinations
3: right so right now we think according to the stats I'm supposed to believe the stats 29 uh, percent of all cases are kids I'm not they didn't even say the ages of the kids but they say are kids 29 percent of all cases and, and that I assume has to do with the Delta variant being different than the COVID-19 we first experienced well, what do you think of those numbers
1: you know i think those are probably pretty accurate as although there's no evidence at this point that delta causes more severe disease in children it is so infectious that children are being exposed more so you're going to hear larger hospitalization numbers because more children are being exposed to the to the virus now, one thing that I am, you know, our biggest, one of our biggest concerns when it comes to COVID 19 and children, it's not necessarily the, the symptoms that they get from the virus directly. In fact, most children just have a cold when yeah. it comes to SARS CoV 2, but it's the MISC, that multisystem inflammatory syndrome in children. And that is causing more children to be hospitalized. They may have an asymptomatic infection or mild infection, but then they get severe illness about a month later. My concern for months, which I've written about at foxnews.com, is will vaccinating children actually exacerbate MISC, will it actually cause that? Because children have such a robust immune system that with SARS-CoV-2, it's really staying in their nose, that nasopharynx, which is why they just have the cold. But if we're vaccinating them, we're immediately giving them that systemic response. So will we see more inflammatory side effects from vaccinating children? And that's one of the big questions I have as a physician and also a mother of three children, in these studies. And so, uh, unfortunately, the the studies are not powered enough, meaning they haven't enrolled enough children to see some of these more rare side effects. And so, like we saw with myocarditis, while the, the chance of having myocarditis after vaccination is extremely rare, it is more than expected in certain populations, specifically Adolescent males. And the only way we saw that is when you started seeing uh, thousands or millions of them actually being vaccinated because there was more power to that study. There's been a very small study, a, a case report really, that even on the CDC website that have listed that even some adults have gotten MISC following vaccination. But it does seem that the people who have gotten it have already had COVID. So they have antibodies mm-hmm. from natural immunity and then they got the vaccine. And the good news is Pfizer did enroll some children who have recovered from COVID-19, but that is the most important and crucial thing that I, as a parent and a doctor, want to see. If someone has already recovered from COVID-19, is vaccinating that child, putting them at a higher risk for some of those adverse outcomes?
3: Absolutely, and and that's even for adults, too. We want to know, too, if, if is it wrong if you had it already to get vaccinated? They seem to be dicey on that. But uh, a couple of things. The booster shot was announced, even though the FDA didn't approve it. The President of the United States two weeks ago or three weeks ago came out and said, Hey, by the way, uh, the booster shot's announced. We're going to get everyone ready. Then the FDA comes out, two people resigned mysteriously, and it says 16 to 2. Our advisory board says, No, we should not be giving people a booster shot unless you're 65 or over. So that's a big deal. Anthony Fauci was asked about these mixed messages that he always accused Trump of doing. Cut 20.
4: So, Dr. Jesse Goodman, the FDA's former chief scientist, told CNN on Friday that that Biden making that announcement a month ahead of time, before the FDA, before the CDC made theirs, was, quote, backwards and not helpful. And at the very least, even though he did say pending approval of the FDA, this is causing more confusion. Wasn't it a mistake for the president to announce this before the FDA and CDC issued their guidance?
5: Jake, I don't think so. The president was very clear, as was the medical group, when we said, we are planning to do this. And it was always said in his official statement, in the official written statement. Okay,
3: he called a press conference to make an announcement and he had a caveat to it. And you think that's enough. Don't you believe, Dr. Sapphire, for the non-scientist medical professionals like me, that these are the types of things that really make your job harder?
1: Oh, um, come on, Brian, absolutely it is. And, you know, it's not a mystery why those two people from the FDA put in for their retirement early, because subsequently a week later, they actually put out a piece in the Lancet talking about why boosters for the general population are not warranted. And it forced the FDA to put out a statement saying these are their own opinions and doesn't reflect that of the FDA. It's like, excuse me, these are your two like director and uh, vice director of your vaccine research. You, You know, at some point they did actually reflect the opinion of the FDA before it became even more politicized than it had been. And yes, unfortunately, you have have data all across the world showing that there may be some merit to boosting specific populations. But when you have the White House come forth and say, you know, hey, everyone's going to have an available booster shot, when we're still pushing to try and vaccinate parts of the world that don't have access to vaccines I mean this this really muddies the water and makes it difficult because all of a sudden you feel like Americans who have already vaccinated they feel like that's mm-hmm. not enough and it's completely undermined the entire vaccine efforts
3: it's uh, it's it's, it's uh, by the way we're two years into it it's inexcusable they always say Trump was doing that he wanted to get things over with quickly maybe quit too quick to make an announcement uh, Anthony Fauci had no problem going at the president with him there. This time, we obviously, Joe Biden was looking to change subjects. Obviously, he shouldn't have made the announcement. Obviously, the, Fed, uh, the FDA made him look terrible by sticking with their ethics and saying, 16 to 2, we're not supporting this. And now, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, somebody I, I, you might have run into, but I'm sure you know of, he, he's got a book out, and he talked about some of the problems with when this thing first took off that we've been talking about along the way and that the, the rules that they're coming out with seem to be made out of thin air. Cut 26.
5: The six feet was arbitrary in of itself. Nobody knows where it came from. The initial recommendation that the CDC brought to the White House, and I talk about this, was 10 feet. And a, a political appointee in the White House said, we can't recommend 10 feet. Nobody can measure 10 feet. It's inoperable. Society will shut down. So the compromise was around 6 feet. Now imagine if that detail had leaked out. Everyone would have said, this is the White House politically interfering with the CDC's judgment. The CDC said 10 feet, it should be 10 feet. But 10 feet was no more right than 6 feet, and ultimately became 3 feet.
3: So do you understand for <laughs> For me i'm the civil i'm the perfect example of the ultimate civilian with no medical background i know when people are making it up now we know for sure they made it up and look at how costly <laughs> it was for kids in school
1: no i um, absolutely actually i i know not only know of scott but i know scott well and i've spoken to him off the record many times throughout this and you know he he makes a lot of very good points and i have yet to read his book though i do have a copy of it sitting in my email waiting to be read
10: okay <laughs> um Comes out he Tuesday, is, I think.
1: He is absolutely correct in the sense that a lot of the things that have come forth have been arbitrary, meaning there was no data behind it. And maybe March 2020, some of these things were okay. You know, let's, let's lock down, keep kids out of school for a week. Let's just see what's going on. Put on face masks, social distancing, whatever it is. Here we are, though, Brian. We are now September 2021 There's data there, and the fact that we still continue to see some of these arbitrary recommendations come forth is appalling, but they continue to do so. Even with boosters, they're having recommendations without any data. How can we still be doing this?
3: And by the way, it's hardest on you because you have people walking in saying, look what I just heard, doctor, and you say, where did you hear that? Did I miss something? Did, did something come out and I miss it? And it's every day, I get it. I'm not a professional. People are saying, oh, you hear about this, you hear about this mask, you hear about that, you hear about... Re-? And I'm saying to myself, where are you getting this? And the problem is the people that are supposed to know uh, don't seem to know, for lack of a better <laughs> term. Uh, well, thanks for, thanks for straightening up with it. I just think people are wising up to, you know, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins. I am just not impressed. And I think they've done a lot of damage, and they never get called out for it. Uh, Dyke Sapphire, thanks so much.
1: Thanks for having me, Brian.
3: You got it. one uh, 866 At the bottom of the hour, we find out why, what makes this week possibly the most crucial for President Biden. He's got a series of crises that he came up with himself that he's got to solve if he wants to save his presidency. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Let me start by saying there is way too many of us in this little room. What are we doing? They said this was outdoors. It's not. They lied to us. We're in a hermetically sealed tent right now. I would not have come to this. Why is there a roof? This is insane. I went from wiping my groceries to having Paul Bettany sneeze in my face. So that's a big week.
13: Anyone's going to sneeze in my face, Paul. I want it to be you.
3: So he's not kidding. Seth Rogen, not kidding. He's one of these paranoid guys like Howard Stern, Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, all these uh, celebrities who say everyone should be in their basement wearing masks and not going to school and not going to restaurants. And they were for the lockdown because they could afford to do it and stay in their yachts or, or go to Aruba. And for the most part, they don't even feel it. And you have guys like that. I don't think he was trying to be funny. Do you? I don't. I don't think he was trying to be funny at all. I think that's him. I think he was trying to be ironic, but yeah, there was definitely a grain of truth to what he was saying there. I think more than a grain. He's probably outraged they're doing this, and they know they look stupid because everyone's condemning all these people for not being vaccinated, not wearing masks. And then you have the elite celebrities like uh, AOC last week at the gala, at the Met Gala, uh, getting a $30,000 ticket t- with a dress that says Tack the Rich. And right now she's under an ethics investigation, two of them. And the same thing, too. It's like, really? Uh, Don't you love seeing these Democratic fundraisers Nancy Pelosi having with uh, most minorities wearing masks and the politicians not? Same thing with the gala. You see the people working the red carpet, literally working the red carpet, and the the so-called celebrities or VIPs not wearing masks, but the help is. So I, I don't know. I don't know anyone that's interested in the Emmys except for I do, I'm excited because I watched one show and it seems to be well-regarded, and that is Ted Lasso. I'm not loving this season. I like the initial season, being a soccer player. I kind of like the fact that a football guy went over there and to be a soccer coach, to tank the team, and the team ends up doing better because he's got this great philosophy when it comes to sports and life. Okay, got it. I uh, like the personal stuff. was kind of interesting. But now they're trying to be all politically correct. The storyline is getting away from sports. I'm not really loving, not nearly as much. But um, but I'm I'm uh, what's his name? Jason Sudeikis, who is an athlete by the way, uh, came up with the idea, been loyal to all his guys, and he's learning soccer too, just like the coach is in real life. Hey, when we come back, Brett Bear does not talk soccer, talks politics, and there will be more scoring than in a normal soccer game. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show
2: breaking news, unique opinions.
8: Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I think he's got a a pretty big uh, credibility crisis on his hands because all of these problems in some ways showed up after he said something basically the exact opposite. Afghanistan withdrawal wasn't going to be messy. This wasn't going to look like Saigon. Uh, The booster shots. And, of course, the border has been... You know, whether this is you could we can talk about the border problems, you could say there's years in the making, but the, the, it's pretty clear we have a bigger problem now than we've had in years. And this is a these policies have turned into becoming a magnet. So it's got a lot of work to do.
3: The reason why I played that is because it's very rare for me, the press to be critical of the president. In fact, during the Afghanistan, which is the biggest debacle in my lifetime, uh, American debacle of my lifetime, probably in our history. They had maybe one week on it. The next week I had to wait 90 mi- uh, excuse me, 40 minutes for them to bring it up. And only in the context of uh, politically will it hurt them. Joining me now is uh, Brett Baer, chief political anchor of Fox News uh, and anchor of uh, special reporters, you know. Brett, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Also, you have a book out uh, uh, coming out uh, shortly, actually, uh, to rescue the Republic available for pre-order right now.
13: Uh, Yeah, just got the hard book today. You know how that is. We get the box of books. It's it's cool.
3: Yeah, so (laughs) when does it actually come out? What day?
13: October 12th it comes out, um, but obviously pre-orders and everything. You can go to Com and there's uh, signed stuff, uh, signed books, and uh, we're really excited. You know, I'm going around the country, but it'll be uh, scaled back a little bit because of COVID, but um, uh, October 12th is the day.
3: All right, uh, we'll find out more about your appearances. Of course, you'll be on the show, uh, and probably in New York. Uh, Brett, yes. it's pretty significant over the weekend. I, I watched Face the Nation. I watched. Uh, I watched ABC. They all pretty much are, are acknowledging that the president's in a series of crises by his own doing.
13: Yeah, what's amazing is to hear Chuck Todd. You know, talk about the immigration crisis. Um, we've been down on that border, uh, as you know, Bill Malugin and our Fox team and different correspondents, really since day one, uh, talking about all that's happening and the flow of illegal immigrants and the border patrol officers saying we're in dire straits here and and it's um, it's a situation that's untenable. And yet, you know, everything from the mainstream media and from the administration was. This is handled, and this is just blown out of proportion by conservative media. Now, when you suddenly, all of a sudden, say, see, you know, uh, meet the press and and uh, their Sunday shows saying he's got major problems in immigration and Afghanistan and the booster shots, you know, where have you been? But it's fine. Um, But it it is a moment when it kind of crosses over. And they have to get out the whiteboard and explain what has been happening uh, for, you know, a number of weeks.
3: So the other thing that the president has a series of dates, September 27th, they guaranteed, the speaker guaranteed that they take up the bipartisan bill, uh, the Senate bill, when it comes to infrastructure, which is controversial. A lot of Republicans don't like that 19- Republican senators, including former President Trump, don't want the Republicans to go along with it because they said they're going to come by and they're going to hit you with even more. Everything that you bargained out, they're going to put in a reconciliation bill at $3.5 trillion. And now the moderates say, we'll only vote for that if we can vote for the 1.2 bipartisan bill first. And that's coming up on the 27th. Now, there's a lot of liberals, uh, way lefties, the AOCs of the world, the squads, who say, we're not going to vote on the 1.2. We're only going to vote on the 3.5 because the 1.2 doesn't do nearly enough. How's this end?
13: Not well for the administration because, um, you know, you can tiptoe through the progressive tulips, um, but you eventually have a battle between the moderates and the progressives. And that's what we're seeing right now. Um, you know, the Senate parliamentarian rules that immigration cannot go into the budget bill. Seems like it would be kind of common sense that maybe immigration wouldn't go into a budget bill. But this was a ruling that was big because they were trying to jam in um, basically uh, a big immigration reform, including amnesty, essentially for into this bill, three point five trillion. Now there's a pushback from progressives saying, "Well, you need to overrule the Senate par- parliamentarian and just move forward." I think whether they vote on September 27th is going to be a big, big moment. Uh, and if they don't, uh, I think they're going to lose moderate votes, and the whole thing may go down. Which. You know, I think Republicans have the opportunity to save it, but they would be saving the Biden administration's tail by doing it. Here is Bernie. We're um, always
3: right. This is Bernie Sanders bill. He's running the budget uh, committee in the Senate. And keep in mind, Kirsten Sinema not only did not wilt in front of the president when it was asked to, to reverse her stand on the 3.5. She said, if you don't pass the 1.2 bipartisan deal, I'm going to entertain the 3.5. Cut four is Bernie Sanders. Listen to him talk.
12: Right now we have uh, many, many millions of undocumented people in this country, people who are working hard, in fact, people who have maintained this economy, people who are doing the essential work, uh, something like 11 million people. And I would hope very much, and I think the American people agree, that now is the time, and if we can do it, the reconciliation, I'm there, I want to do it to move toward a path toward citizenship and comprehensive immigration reform. Think about this. uh, Through the reconciliation.
13: Yeah,
3: but it blew up right after he said that. It blew up a few hours later. But keep in mind, do you really think the American people would do this, would be on board with this without border security? You see what's happening. 14,000 people underneath a small bridge in Texas, some from, most from Haiti, and who are getting misinformation that they're allowed in. And I'm sure most of them are going to get in. They're flying about 150 back to Haiti at a time. So that's dead in the water with the 3.5 will be negotiated down. But I saw that Joe Manchin said, we're not going to touch this until 2022.
13: He wants to have a strategic pause in his words. Um, and, you know, that's also a battle. Listen, if what what could happen here is that the moderates win on the standoff and they push back the three point five, and Republicans with moderate support pass the bipartisan bill, at which point progressives will be livid, and you know again, the administration will be on the back end of it. However, if Republicans do vote for the bipartisan bill, they'll at least be able to say they had a bipartisan win. We're not there yet, though. We have a lot of iterations before we get there.
3: You also got to get rid of the debt ceiling, right?
13: And that's coming up October 1st. And uh, you see the markets already reacting um, a little jittery uh, because of that. And, you know, Republicans didn't have a problem, obviously, voting for the debt ceiling increase under the Trump administration. But now with all of this spending um, and obviously the politics of the moment, they are making a stand. So how far does that go? not sure, but it's going to be ugly.
3: It will be. Uh, Nothing's more ugly than, I think, Afghanistan, if you ask me. Uh, Listen to David Martin on Face the Nation. Talk about what's in this book, Peril, that nobody was for the pullout this way. Cut 30.
1: The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the chief military advisor to the president, said, don't do it, don't do it this way. And the secretary of defense, General Austin, said the same thing to President Biden, and he dismissed it.
6: He didn't dismiss it. He listened. They all give him credit for listening. Um, But he just wasn't buying it. He just did not believe that it was worth the candle to remain in Afghanistan. Um, Remember, uh, Lloyd Austin had seen this movie before because he was the commander in Iraq during the Obama administration when the Obama administration Pulled all its combat troops out of Iraq, which gave rise to ISIS. And then he was the commander of the U.S. Central Command when ISIS came storming out of uh, Mm -hmm. Syria. And we had to basically uh, fight the the war of Iraq all over.
3: So what he's forgetting is Joe Biden saw this movie before already, too. Totally screwed it up. And he's doing it again. But it looks as though these guys are all on the record saying we were not for this pullout. Yeah. That is another self-inflicted I've heard, wound.
13: I've heard the same thing. And um, I've heard beyond the, the military leaders and Secretary Blinken, other advisors, uh were saying, no, we need to leave the small footprint uh, in order to enable the evacuation of Americans. And the president decided the other way to the point where they've had to, they had to make sure that they were understanding exactly what he wanted. And listen, Brian, he has been public before uh, in his thoughts that the military was dragging the administration along or, or that you know, always the, the military is always fighting to, to be in the, the battle. Um, but there was a lot of recommendation, including the commander on the ground in Afghanistan, that it not go this way and yeah biden owns that decision
3: he does Uh, the other big decision was this story about selling nuclear subs to australia the uk brokers it they so the U the problem was france according to reports also our ally had the hundred million dollar hundred billion dollar deal to make and sell those subs nuclear subs to australia the lack of communication The uh, taking the rug out from underneath the French has resulted in their ambassador being withdrawn from the U.S.
12: Listen to him comment. We have a a feeling, yes, of not being um, treated like um, like an ally. France play a key role in
1: in the Indo-Pacific Ocean.
3: Wow. So the French are are not speaking to us. We're going to try to talk to him Tuesday. Evidently, the Australian uh, uh, president, uh, uh, prime minister, tried to call and he he would not pick up the phone. How have we allied? I thought that that Joe Biden was going to bring class and stability back to the international arena. It's not working out that way.
13: (laughs) No. And, you know, they're making a big deal about Biden is scheduling a call with Macron to calm the waters. Well, maybe the call would have been good before the deal, um, you know, to to calm those waters. It, it, I've talked to the French. They really feel like they were blindsided and, and uh, dragged around. And, you know, they've been, obviously, in a number of different fronts, um, really instrumental on in the international stage with Iran and Afghanistan, other places as well, Africa. Um, so to get treated like this is uh, is kind of a weird thing to for the guy who was supposed to improve alliances around the world and america is back on a diplomatic stage uh i think it could get a little icy up in uh, the u.n this week
3: right uh and also just seeing the optics today the president doesn't come back till noon then he flies to new york for a u.n speech but the optics brett of him just riding a bike all weekend while the you know while we have fourteen thousand under a bridge in terrible circumstances at the border the afghanistan news about us killing civilians no ISIS-K there, just children and an ally, uh, friend worker. And then we have the French who's uh, walking away from us. I mean, how, wh- who was the genius that said, hop on a bike and, and bike around a little in front of the press?
13: Yeah. Friday was a bad day for optics, if you want to talk about that. I mean, as this stuff is happening, we understand he was briefed at the White House about the, the drone strike not having any ISIS-K. And killing an aid worker and seven children, um, and, and a couple others, and uh, then leaves for for Delaware or Rehoboth, rather. And I, I just think, um, you know, add to the the list that you made. That is why to circle back to the beginning, meet the press and face the nation. And everybody else has to see yep. the negative pile on that potentially is happening here with this administration.
3: Yeah, absolutely. In January 6th, the big protest uh, was that the media outnumbered the amount of protesters. This is why, even though the Trump people don't want to hear it, this is why the best thing to ever happen to Donald Trump for this moment, not if he's going to run again, is to not be on social media. He was not able to provide them a distraction to get off Joe Biden.
13: 100%. And, you know, if you look at the media coverage leading up to the Justice for J6 rally, it was it was crazy how much time was spent on other channels and other places about the concern and hence the fence and the and the police. They have to be careful, yes. But when it shows up that there's one guy surrounded by 30 photographers uh, carrying a flag, it's really you know it's kind of interesting, interesting development.
3: Well, good luck as uh, the the clock counts down, Brad. To the rescue, of the Republic. Uh, go pre-order it now. It's uh, it's excellent, Brad. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Brian. All right, see him tonight at 6 o'clock Eastern time. When we come back, we wrap up the hour at 1-866-408-7669. That's your option to be on national radio.
2: Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm just looking at the clock. I think it's time to find out if I need to know more.
2: More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. All
3: right, Mayor of San Francisco is terrible, London Breed. Then they have these oppressive mask restrictions there. Well, uh, London Breed was caught breaking her own strict mandates, going clubbing with a Black Lives Matter co-founder. The Democrat also went to fire for a restrictive coronavirus rules. On Wednesday, was photographed by a San Francisco Chronicle editor while singing and dancing in a packed jazz club with no sign of mask. When do these people, when are they ever going to get it? Apparently, I mean,
5: what you would think that Gavin Newsom would have yeah. lost, or at least sure it would have been so. much closer, but apparently, I guess the people... Are not upset about this where they live there.
3: Vikings lose again, but for a while it looked like they were gonna win. They had they actually played well at times against Arizona. Arizona dynamic offense, not much of a defense. Here's the kick from Greg Joseph for the victory. It's just 37 yards out, which is a layup for professional kickers. High snap put down.
5: Joseph, come on.
13: He missed it right. He missed it right. Oh are my goodness Oh my! He missed it right. Oh, missed it by like a foot, and
3: just oh my god! Yeah,
5: oh my god! How do you <laughs> screw it up that bad? I mean, were they saying oh my god because of the short distance, or oh my god how excited they were, and, and it missed by a mile, yet they thought it went through?
3: I know. My goodness. I I don't know. They were. I was listening to some of that report uh, on Sirius, and they did. Uh, they do. Uh, they are such a homer with their team. Yeah. You know, I don't I'm, like. I want somebody, okay, I want to know that they're pulling for my team. I don't want them actually cheering for my I, yeah, team. I,
5: I don't mind if they get excited, wow, alright, and the Vikings win, but
3: when you say, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, although, did you like Phil Rizzuto, though? Because he was a, a homer. I don't even remember. I see Anthony Fauci. That's who he reminds me of. Next, Oscar De La Hoya had COVID. He was also spider, supposed to fight, even though he's about 45 years old, but he also sings.
2: And in the good times i fear myself.
3: Tell me something more. <laughs> it's not too it's not that bad.
5: Uh, I don't I don't know. I I like him as a fighter, but I it's a good thing he's stuck as a boxer and not as a singer. Next. Have, you, have
3: you ever done karaoke? Not yet. Uh next, Manny Pacquiao is running for Philippines president. He's 42 years old. I thought he still wanted to fight. Evidently, he wants to run. He says he gave a dire uh, a warning to current corrupt politicians. They will soon end in jail together. There's nobody more popular. I imagine this guy's going to win, and he's honest as the day is long. That's yeah. what they need. I just don't know if it's governable. You know, when he won, he did win, but when he was elected as a senator, he had more than
5: 16 million votes, so he's extremely oh, yeah. popular. He's- he'll probably walk away with it, you would think.
3: Absolutely. Hey, uh, thanks so much for listening. Hey, go to BrianKilmead.com. I'm going to be in Clearwater, Florida, Orlando, Ponte Vidra, Florida, as well as uh, Charleston, West Virginia. I want you to get tickets. It's the President and Freedom Fighter Tour. Uh, just click on the city that you want. The tickets are there for you. See you in person.